0: Welcome to the fourth installment of the tough stuff series on where others won't. So far this season, we've had three head coaches, John Herdman from soccer, Lisa Alexander from netball, and Paya Lindholm from curling. But on this episode, something different again. They say when you want to learn something new, it's best to go straight to the source. So my guest on this episode is Dr. Amy Cruz, Amy is credited with coining the term operational neuroscience and popularizing the term applied neuroscience. She's best known for her work at defense advanced research projects agency or DARPA where she created and oversaw the agency's first performance oriented neuroscience program. And if you're wondering, this is the U S military department of defense. Amy's work generated scientific breakthroughs in areas including augmented cognition, accelerated learning, cognitive enhancement, team neurodynamics, and brain stimulation. And they resulted in the creation of multiple programs that measurably enhance both individual and team performance in several branches of the US military. In terms of the cutting edge of performance and neuroscience, There's no one better. This episode of the Tough Stuff series on Where Others Won't is with Dr. Amy Cruz. Amy Cruz, how are you?
1: very well thank you
0: it's good to have you on it's probably long overdue
1: yes very very long overdue it's uh it's been it's well, it's been a while but i'm I'm happy to to meet up with you here uh, since we aren't seeing each other at conferences right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> well let's let's start there uh because we, we did meet at a conference we spoke at, at leaders in sport in las vegas and it was uh, you and me, and then just a raft of superstars, Dara Harris and uh, Daniel Negreanu and uh, you know, the guy who trains fighter pilots for the, the air force. And then there's you and me sitting there at kind of the back of the room. <laughs> so we right. started, yeah, like how did we get in here, you know, <laughs> yeah,
1: totally.
0: in the green room? But um, yeah, uh, you know, we've stayed in touch since then and, and had a number of conversations, and in particular, what I thought. My audience could really benefit from is is some of your work, but then also the the applications of you know your applied neuroscience to uh, to coaches and and to decision makers and and particularly people who, you know, are in these rapid decision making environments like head coaches at the elite levels are. And but let's let's start at the top. You know, your work really came out of DARPA, um, mm-hmm. which. Yeah. The easy way to describe it, kind of the the high performance research department of the military in the United yep. States, and uh, was really around snipers. So just give us kind of the the high level, like what you did with with them, and because that's what your presentation was about. And I was sitting there like awestruck by what you had done, but it, sure. I, I found it absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple things. You know, I I came to DARPA um, as a neuroscientist to really start what I call, what I called the the field of operational neuroscience. So taking neuroscience out of the lab and into the field, right? And that, in, in that case, that field was, was the, the military uh, operations space. And, and we looked at, I had quite a few programs when I was there. um, But one of my favorites um, was this accelerated learning program. And what we asked was, you know is it the case that the brains of experts look different in some way because this was an open question at the time look different than the brains of novices right you would you would assume that based on behavior right there's something changed <laughs> But but, you know, at the time, nobody was really you know kind of looking at the actual sort of network and, and brain performance level um, and so, through that program, we worked with um, military marksmen and and showed two things: one is that the brains of experts do indeed look different and perform differently than the brains of novices, which is really awesome and important because it also reflected, if you talk to, a, a you know, an expert sniper, they'll tell you they can put themselves into that expert state for performance at will, right? They can dial it in as they need to. Um, and so this was, it was a great confirmation for us because the brain activity reflected the expert sort of self-perception. And at the same time, because of the nature of how that brain activity looked, it was actually able to train we were actually able to train novices to, uh, through neurofeedback, through giving them neurofeedback while they were practicing um, the, the sort of sensation or, or perception of what it was like to be in that optimal state. Now, a novice kind of goes in and out and you know, they kind of wobble, wobble around in, in that state. But once they understand for themselves what it takes to um, produce that state, we saw once they'd been trained through, through neurofeedback, it only took you know, a, few, a few sessions a week you know, over the course of three or four weeks, you actually saw performance improvements out on the range. Right. Which is pretty awesome because they didn't have to fire any more bullets. Right. They were they were actually able to to train their brains, which then combined with their motor skills, which they had then resulted in, you know, them moving up the curve to expert performance. I think they accelerated by like. It was like a hundred percent faster, but they got up the curve. They weren't experts, you know, true experts at the end, but they got like seventy-five or eighty percent of the way up that up, up that curve. So that was just really exciting for us because it was the first time that you know you could you could think about the brains of experts and think about how you might train novices to to get there. And and there were other tasks that we looked at where you saw similar brain patterns. And what's so interesting is that is that the brain goes through transition phases. Like all of us know, like if you're learning to ride a bike or drive a car yeah. or something, right? Like there are these, these weird interim phases where like the brain is, is, is really trying, when, when the brain is working towards expertise and you're practicing, it's really moving towards efficiency right? So the brains of experts are actually really efficient, which is actually why it's hard to unlearn a bad habit as, as well. <laughs> right. But, but in this case, it's a good habit. Expertise is really a sign of efficiency in the brain. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was just very exciting. And and for us then broadening the perspective, you know, after DARPA and, and looking at the commercial space, the next, one of the elements of that was really where, um, you know sports performances headed obviously it had some Mm -hmm. some real analogs there um and so yeah so it's been an exciting uh transition from from out of the lab into the field and then into another field so um yeah yeah.
0: absolutely and yeah that was the thing that really stood out to me and then the other part of it was the the kind of the knock-on effect in terms of then studying teams and what expert yes. teams look like, yes. which for obviously everyone in the room, everyone is in team sports for the most part, and we're seeing that. And so, you essentially found that uh, expert teams literally get on the same wavelength. But explain yes. it how you explain it, because it it sounds better coming from from you. But <laughs> uh, no, that that was the one thing literally that I my my jaw hit the ground when you said that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we had initially done that work in um, submarine navigation teams and it's a very complex task, right? They, you know, you're bringing this sub into this, you know, either port or some other area that's, that's complex to navigate. And so it's a challenging task um, in and of itself. And what we saw were that expert teams really did synchronize both their brains and their physiology when they were when they were performing optimally right and that's incredibly exciting because it gives a, maybe a quantitative picture into how you know how these expert teams um, could be you know, could be measured right and and what was so interesting was that it was also reflected in their um, communication styles right so um, expert teams are often very efficient communicators because each each member of the team has a really good mental model of what the other person is doing and working on obviously there's that trust as well you know we've all sort of gone through this together but the other Thing that we found, which was remarkable, um, in addition to that sort of you know sort of awesome synchronization of, of individuals, was that expert teams also recovered from errors faster, um, which was which was fascinating, right? Because you would think yeah. you know you're you know you just didn't know sort of what was going to happen under those conditions, and and expert teams were quick with an after action review, right? Quick with. No, kind of a no blame like here's where here's where things went wrong okay here's how we're going to adjust and and move forward where uh, novice teams and teams who were sort of out of sync uh, perseverated on errors right so that kept they either talked too much about it or kept going over it or you know just didn't really didn't make that that progress and and that's one of the hallmarks that we see you know you've probably seen in the literature around expertise it's really that prompt feedback in the context of a challenging task and and errors errors will occur right it's learning (laughs) like it's not there is no perfect anything right we're humans and it's learning and it's really that prompt feedback and then adjusting one's performance and moving on and doing that as a team is really, you know, sort of one of the, again, one of the hallmarks of expertise. So again, very exciting. We, we, the one part we didn't get to, which, which I, uh, I'm I'm still clamoring after um, is, is the, uh, you know, is that accelerated team performance, right? So I showed, you know, here we showed expert individuals, novices, here's a neurofeedback paradigm to, to accelerate them to that place. I'm still, you know, very interested in uh, and in accelerating expert team performance, and I think, you know, I think people are really starting to get into that again, particularly in the context of the more remote workforce and the other things that we're looking at now. It's so hard to um optimize team performance when we're all separated and I can't read your body language and we're not in the same room and you know so so I think there's a big a big opportunity and a big future for accelerated team performance again both in business as well as as sport
0: yeah absolutely and <laughs> it's yeah it's funny now and even in sport right where you're now looking at even some of those you know higher end sporting organizations who are still looking at maintaining some of the remote work where they're not necessarily yeah. all going to be at the facility together from an organizational level. Like they'll keep, you know, a GM home one day a week after COVID right. and yeah, all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, all of these learning together and like you said, the acceleration of learning individual skills but also team dynamics it's going into a really interesting space now um just because of the 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 environment that we're going to be walking into once this is all over
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: um you mentioned something there this fixation on errors which when you talk about coaches is probably <laughs> one of the biggest slights on our profession is just this absolute obsession with fixing errors. Yep. So through through all the work that that you did, both from a, an individual tactical I guess technical perspective and then also that the team perspective where where was that balance in terms of correcting because you mentioned that there was this kind of tipping point of talking about it too much and then not enough as well or, right. or sorry the, the right amount for the expert teams yeah do, do you have some sort of conclusion as to where that tipping point might be
1: well, I wish I wish I had a secret formula for that. That would so be so. That's
0: why I asked the that, question. That would be fantastic. Then, then I wouldn't then I wouldn't publish the podcast. So I just keep it for right.
1: Myself. <laughs> you just run away <laughs> with it. And no, I you know it it really is. I I think um, I'm I'm you know and and again I'm, I'm making a bit of a generalization, but I think it will. It's probably reflected in. Um, in in what's out there, what both what we've seen and in the literature is it's 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 better when feedback is kind of neutral and performance oriented versus personal, right. right? And I think that again, that's reflected back in the in the submarine navigation teams, right? Like they were they each were professionals and and respected each other, and so you could give someone, uh, you know. Sh- sh- strong feedback, but it wasn't personal. And I, you know, for me, I think when people's um, perhaps egos get threatened or there's some added emotionality element to it, I think the feedback can then be either misheard, (laughs) misperceived, (laughs) um, you know, and, and so, you know, sometimes pulling back on, maybe it's better to give feedback at a later time when, when elements have, emotional elements have cooled um, versus, you know, of course you want immediate feedback, but like, if it's going to (laughs) be... If it's going to be personal, extremely negative, and ego-threatening, you could probably wait, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it really is a balance. It's a balance of reading. And we've, you, you and I have talked about this, the emotional sort of perceptual elements in, in coaching, um, you know, reading individuals, understanding where they're coming from, understanding their perspective, and learning how to deliver feedback to them. Um, is a is a skill, right? Because everybody is, you know, we're hum- humans, human brains, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of variability there. Um, and so, yeah, I just I think a healthy a healthy organization, of course, will have perhaps an easier time giving that type of feedback. But again, there's indivi- there could be individuals, either both both coaches or um, players in those organizations that may be more sensitive really to to that type of feedback and, and emotional elements so it's a, it's an interesting mix
0: it sure is let's go on to some of the things that we've been talking about um, more recently because I, I again I, I think the the technical application for you know skill development and, and accelerated skill development I think is fascinating also that that team element but where I really wanted to go with you was was on the the individual performance of coaches and and i think this is and we've kind of agreed on this is i actually think this is where there's like percentage points of improvement to be had in in our profession in in elite sport Um, you know we're still kind of scrounging around for you know 0.1 on a squat um in the gym (laughs) thinking that that's going to give us um, you know astronomical performance but I actually think the coaches' performance their ability to teach their ability to to use your words accelerate learning and accelerate development um, in others actually lies in themselves so let's yeah. let's go there because i I think this is fascinating but where where we might start is let's talk about decision making in depletion because as we know like particular and there's been more and more, articles about this more and more discussion more and more coaches coming out and talking about it but this world where it's you know for an NBA coach for instance you're on a plane every day you're in three different time zones in a week you're sleep deprived you're haven't seen your, your kids you haven't spoken to your mum, you haven't and and kind of the emotional toll starts to become a physical toll and then at seven o'clock every second night, you're out there making hundreds and hundreds of rapid decisions. So maybe yeah. just talk us through like what that depletion does to your brain and your ability to make those rapid decisions and, and notice things. Cause that's the job is to notice things right. happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's very interesting cause you, you and I have talked a lot about, about sleep and, and health and, um, well-being from from that perspective. And it really is the case that um, sleep deprivation and all of those sort of emotional and physical toll deplete your cognitive capacities as well, right? We, we saw this. I, another program that I had at DARPA was specifically around preventing sleep deprivation or overcoming mm-hmm. the cognitive elements that were associated with with sleep deprivation. And, and as we studied, um, again, you know, Marine Corps coaches or or other folks in the field, you could literally see their, (laughs) their, not only just their decision making, but, but as sleep deprivation continued, um, you, you start to lose even just key perceptual elements like you're talking about, right? You miss visual cues, you miss auditory cues, you, um, depending on, (laughs) depending on how sleep deprived you are, you might even take a micro nap, you know? So, so, so it's not just the decision-making elements when you get stressed out and sleep deprived enough, it actually, it actually changes how you're able to perceive information, which in the context of what we're talking about, noticing, right? Perceiving and seeing patterns and, and changes in behavior or a switch up or something like that. Um, you know, as you're, as you're depleted, uh, you know, you know, you just, you just literally lose the ability. And it's kind of one of those things where you might n- not, personally perceive it like I have my own little personal cues of when I'm sleep deprived like I'll notice like oh I must be really sleep deprived because I can't spell anything today you know or or so. like, right. like it's goofy but it's it's a little thing it's a little tell for me of when I've gotten past a certain point. And then I know, okay, today is not the day for this, not the day for that. <laughs> We're not gonna do this today. We're gonna, you know, file paperwork and do something, you know. So so I think I think it's two things. One is the attention to those depletion elements, again, sleep, mental, mental health, nutrition, and other things, but it's also knowing for yourself. Maybe a, a little bit about those those states for you, so that you can best adapt to them um, you know i'm I'm absolutely thrilled that the Army has started to suggest napping like fine like i've been
0: <laughs> working on this for
1: ten years you know to because because some of these things were initially seen as a weakness, right oh, you know you know what are you a toddler? you need a nap, and you're like or. <laughs> You could restore your cognitive capacity (laughs) with a, with a napping strategy, you know? So I personally have been on a crusade to debunk some of these, um, you know, thoughts and, and, and uh, stigma around taking a break, taking a nap, you know, replenishing your stores, because we are, again, we're human. You know, once you've made X number of decisions in the day, you know, your little decision making wheel <laughs> gets a little gets a little worn out. And if you've spent all day sleep deprived and, and having to make, you know, even just spurious decisions, if you're if you're trying to be a hundred percent on for coaching that night at seven PM, you're already starting at a disadvantage. Um, so that I think it's very important.
0: Yeah, I I have the handbook the new handbook and I haven't finished it, but I, even just conceptually, because we just, to your point, we have this idea of the military and a lot of it is driven by TV, obviously, yep. and and yeah. which is fine, but it's not like that at all. But you're right in that a lot of it, a lot of the decision-making changes mm-hmm. and actually writing in napping strategies into their handbook. And for those who don't understand the US military essentially have a or the army have a, a handbook that is given to everyone that basically outlines everything and they've right. gone and added meditation practices and mindfulness and spirituality and napping and like when to nap and, 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 and even for people who can't find time to nap, when to nap. And, right. <laughs> and so again, we, to your point, Amy, is we have this idea of it seen as soft yep. or oh, you need, oh, you need to sleep. Whereas, yeah if the military have gone and said, no, 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 it's actually yeah, the other I way around, right? I, I think it's time for us to adapt as well and, and not yeah. make heroes out of the head coaches who are awake watching tape at 3 a.m.
1: Right, totally, totally.
0: Talk to us about, so you've mentioned kind of the, the depletion of resources, but last time we talked, you talked about willpower as well and how that is a finite resource. Yeah. And, and you can't just will yourself to make better decisions which is kind of what we're talking about but right. just just talk talk us through that in a little bit more detail in terms of these these finite resources that we are yeah just biting into as we go through the day
1: yeah it's the same it's the same kind of thing like if, if you've ever seen you know some of the new um books that are out there around habits right and and, and how to how to you know, sort of create healthy habits. One of the things they emphasize is that the harder it is for you to make good choices, right? The less likely you are, especially as the day goes on (laughs) to make good choices, right? So, so you have to make things like easy and automatic and, and sort of, you know, on a, on a little like pattern for yourself, because the more, you know, difficult decisions that you have to make during the day, even if they're about your own personal health, they still deplete that sort of willpower resource, right? At some point after saying, nope, I'm not going to do that. Nope. I'm not going to have one of those. Nope. I'm going to have a, you know, burp, you know, and then, and then you're at the bar <laughs> right? <laughs> right at the end of the day. And all that's, all that's over your shoulder, you know? So I, I do think we need to um, think about not just the, the, the cognitive resources in terms of decision-making, but these sort of willpower resources and our, kind of like emotional capacity to to deal with stress like what are people's coping mechanisms you know if you don't if you don't have a plan for when this this and this happen and you're at your sort of maybe one of your weaker or or less desirable moments you know um that that's when depleted willpower is most challenging Right. And so a lot of folks have talked about structuring, you know, the day, you know, like we were joking about this, you know, before it's like, if I knew I was coaching at seven o'clock at night, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't make one decision. (laughs) Like everything would be planned out. Like I would go over here. I would eat that, that, like everything would be wired. Right. So that my brain would be 100% available and and all the capacity would be there, um, you know, for the day. And I, I do wonder, you know, we, we've talked about this, but like I do wonder um, how folks spend their days preparing, you know, for these, you know, on the, on the field moments at these hours. And we also talked about, you know, the, the concept, again, reiterating from the, from the military, the train as you fight. Uh, hmm. kind of thing it's like you know if you're practicing at 10 a.m but most of your games are at 8 p.m there's a huge circadian shift there you know you might have had it nailed at 10 you know somebody might be a you know you might have some night owls or you might have some larks or whatever you know whatever the term <laughs> is now <for laughs> folks. Right. like people have circadian differences you know so um yeah so it's just very interesting to see um the impact uh throughout the day yeah
0: it is. And, you know, I've been fortunate over the last couple of years to spend some time with some teams and and particularly being here in, in downtown Toronto, you know, I live a block from yeah. where the Raptors play and the Leafs play. And so when teams come into town and, you know, someone on the visiting team gives me a call and says, Hey, why don't you come for coffee on the day of the game? You know, I, I go and visit and you kind of sit there and you have a coffee and these people are like falling asleep at the table right? Like the coaches. And, and um, it always fascinated me because as we're talking about, there's this just cycle of things. And I I understand there's a reality to it. There's media that needs to be done. There's sponsor events that need to be done. There's, you know, taking care of the players and all that sort of stuff. But to kind of put a bow on this, this broader idea, I think we really need to think through all of what we've been talking about in that, uh, yeah, you know, uh, coaches are decision makers. Um, they, they're professional communicators. All of those things go away. And so this, you know, when you add in the emotional toll, just the life toll of, of just what people put themselves through for nine months of the year to be a, an NFL coach or whatever it may be, um, all these things add up and they continue to add to this depletion. Yeah. Uh, and so there are some structural changes that really need to take place. You know, the players Absolutely. go for their naps at 2 o'clock. But, right. like, what are the coaches doing? Um, right. Often they're <laughs> studying more film or trying to cram because they, they haven't got the, you know, the report ready or whatever it may be. But it becomes this, is that time best spent doing that? And is that going right. to make the team better? Right? Or are the team going to be better because you had a 30-minute nap and actually caught the thing in the game rather than on the yep. tape.
1: Yep. Totally. Totally. And I think, I think, it, you know, what we've talked about is sort of this parody between, um, you know, what's going on, you know, and, and, and rightfully so, all the treatment and, and, and the care of the players, but I really do think there's this other side to it, which is you have to look at the health of the coaches, their sleep, their nutrition, their emotional you know, sort of wellness. Um, and it needs to be, it needs to be both sided. Right. Um, because, because they all sort of have the same, you know, mission focus or goal in mind, right. Which is, is, is sort of all succeeding as a, as a team. Um, and so I, I just really, I've always been, um, struck and impressed and amazed by what coaches have to go through, um, without as much discussion of, uh, you know, of their wellness. So, so I'm, I'm on board with that for sure. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I see, you, you see it, you see a parallel though, with the senior leaders in the military as well, right. Yeah. Starting to talk about, about mental health and wellness and nutrition and sleep and these things, it does need to be reflected at the senior leader level in order for it to be acceptable at every Every level of an organization. And so I think these are topics on which coaches who have had an experience with with some of these elements can take a real leadership role. In their organizations and make it very clear because I mean, you know, I've interacted with with professional teams and there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches under the coaches like there's, there's a lot of folks on these teams now, you know, and those folks move around and, and don't necessarily stay with an organization for a long time and, and if you get that message across the whole um, cadre of coaches that these things are important as those folks right if it comes down from the senior leadership levels and people have had experiences on teams where those things were taken seriously now you've got something to work with right and and that's when it comes together and that's i think what we're seeing in the military now and and what i'd love to see happen in in professional sport as well
0: Yeah, the unfortunate thing is a lot of the time, these kind of changes, these big structural changes or or quite innovative changes in in anything, whether it's a tactic on the field or whether it's the the off field stuff, is it relies on a winner. And and what I mean by that is it relies on Steve Kerr winning three championships before everyone starts to go, Well, what's he been doing? Right. So the the new the new coach on (laughs) the meditation is
1: cool once they won three right, you know, exactly.
0: Everything yes. is everything is stupid until someone wins with it and then it becomes right. the, the reason, right? And, and so unfortunately, and right. this is what I'm trying to, you're talking about accelerated learning. I'm trying to accelerate this learning without having won anything and say, look, sure. this, this is the accelerator. We don't need to wait for Steve yeah. to win another three and then, and then ask him and he says, actually, I went to bed at two o'clock every day and had a 30 minute nap for this to happen. Right. Like we can make this shift anyway. Um,
1: right. Yeah. Uh, literature certainly supports it. Like the performance literature supports that. I, I know that it's often difficult in professional sports. They want to see it, as you say, proven out in their, like, yeah, I'm happy to train my guys on X, Y, and Z, but will it improve, improve their batting average? And if you can't show them one graph, that says if you do this that like some and you're like right but don't you think that better vision systems with quicker reaction time are important for (laughs) like you know (laughs) it it was it's always that that question of like going for the fundamentals like to me sleep is a fundamental right like that sleep improves everything right (laughs) You know, so you're not necessarily going to be like, oh, we slept more and win. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, like I wish it. I wish it was the case that I had that perfect graph you know, to, to show everybody, but sleep is a fundamental and improves everything. Same thing with cognitive training, right? If you improve people's visual processing and ability to take in information and react on it quickly or hear auditory, auditory cues faster, you're going to improve performance, right? Do I have the perfect graph that shows you that? I do not right now. I would love to make the perfect graph that that shows you that. So. um.
0: And so let let's, keep going down that path a little bit. So what else can we do? Uh, You know, let's talk about, um, you know, things that you advise that are again, really, really simple. Whilst, you know, a lot of your work is obviously very, very complex. What I love is the solutions actually, or the the implementable or the applied element of them is actually quite easy for us to, um, to implement in our daily lives. And it's, it's not really anything that anyone else isn't talking about anyway. So things like mindfulness, right? right. But yes, but I like yes. how you talk about. It. So, like mindfulness and meditation, great. But what does it actually do for you?
1: Right, right. And this is this is, I think, the the really key element, right? So, meditation and mindfulness do do two fundamentally, again, these fundamentals do two fundamental things. One is it it trains your attention, right? So when you're practicing meditation or mindfulness, you're usually attending to your breath or attending to some element, you know, and and as your mind wanders, you bring it back, you know, and and you keep doing that. What it's doing is it's actually strengthening your attention like you would strengthen a muscle, right? Every time you remember you 've drifted and bring it back it, it literally improves your attention and attentional capacity and ability to focus, and which is a fundamental right The second thing is and again, this is through you know observations in the literature. what it does is you know help help people be less emotionally reactive or reactive to stimuli right so you know, something happens and, and you know, if you're kind of in the middle of having a meditation or mindfulness practice, sometimes you just see that as like, oh, this is a, like a wave. It's like an, you know, an emotional wave going through me. It has a beginning, it has an end, and I don't need to get attached to it, right? And so these are some of the elements, I think, from the emotional regulation aspect that are so critical um, with, with meditation and mindfulness. I've seen this in my own my own life, I, you know, I was a pretty, pretty anxious kid, you know, and, and, and over time, you know, in grad school and everything else with a, with a meditation practice, you, you come to see all of these things as, as kind of moving through perception, right, and, and the ability that you have to sort of let them go, then it makes you ready for the next moment, right, and so when we talk about this in the context of players or in the context of coaches, right, it's, it's like those expert teams, right? They're able to let it go. Right. Okay. Made a mistake, did a thing. Somebody spit on me, whatever, like, you know, and I let it go. It's gone. It's over. The moment is over. And I move on to, to the next element of my performance. Right. And so that's one of the reasons that those skills are so important. And as we've talked about they also impact your daily life right so it doesn't just make you a better player or a better coach it also makes you a better human a better partner a better father a better mother right and and those for me that's the kind of stuff that gives me goosebumps right because it it has that kind of profound impact across performance
0: yeah coming from a playing background the the hardest teams to navigate and to work out are never the most skilled or the fastest or anything like that. It's the ones that do what you just described. They keep coming, they keep coming at you. They make mistakes and they just let it go. It's a wave, and and you're out there, and you're just like shit. They they just keep battering us right we yeah and and obviously it's a chess game but there's these teams that just keep showing up and they don't let any, and they miss a goal okay well that happens right that's part of the game right um and the the easiest ones to navigate are the ones that blow their top because (laughs) someone misses an open three or an open goal or whatever it may be because you know that they're going to self-implode Right. So teams that- and you
1: can really get their goat, right? Like, that's why you, you like, goat. you know, if you know they're that way, that's why they poke it. Like, that's, like, it's a right. strategy, right? right. And it's a strategy to, like, get them riled up so they can't, they can't shake it, you know? Um, so, it's pretty funny. But it's true. It's it's 100% true. So,
0: yeah. And, and, you know, this isn't just my opinion. This is what you hear the the top coaches say. This is why Bill Belichick's mantra is don't beat yourself. Right. And and what he's talking about from a, a team perspective is, is don't let those little things that don't matter get to you. And just, right. um, you know, that, that whole do your job mentality, just do that. Just keep doing it. Yeah. And trust. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. What's, Coming in the future, what are you excited about in in your world in in applied neuroscience?
1: I'm well. So just on the just to touch on the topic of of what we've kind of launched from here, I, I'm excited about you know the notions we've been talking about about the coach of the future, right? I think I think we're really I think we're on you know you're onto something here, and it, you know uh, I'm so excited to see. Some of the techniques that have been used either you know with the players themselves or in the military with senior leaders and other i I'm, I'm I'm anxious for those to um, you know get get into the coaches' hands as well, so that's something you know I think we we share a, a passion around um, I'm very excited actually around you know, sleep technology and people understanding their own sleep cycles and taking control of those. We've seen some interesting tech come out lately, um, and there's more interesting tech that's on the way um, that is really starting to show sleep, not only from you know, the general benefit of it, but also using sleep as an entry point to improve memory or other aspects of performance. And so I think sleep in the future, I think sleep will not just be the beneficial part of sleep, but will also start to, to modulate it in a way that, that can give us some performance enhancements. I'm very, I'm very interested and excited in um, the intersections that we're now seeing between What I call, you know, moving away from looking at the brain from like blobology, you know, like, oh, this lights up and then that lights up and, you know, but now really starting to understand from an applied neuroscience way, the brain's networked structure and how it's constantly, um, you know, moving and changing and, and taking in information. And so there's a lot around mental health that's very exciting in that regard. There's a lot around performance enhancement that's very exciting in that regard, sort of, sort of the intersection of what we would call neuromodulation or using, you know, whether it's magnets or focused ultrasound or electrical stimulation to, to really um, start modulating these networks in the brain. Again, initially will be for, for sort of uh, health or, or um, clinical purposes, but I, I see it moving um, into performance as well. So that's very exciting. Yeah. So just, you know, just this sort of, uh, you know, I think we're on, I always, you know, I, I feel like I've said this before, but I really mean it this time. Like we, we really are on the cusp of, some of these elements starting to come together with, with performance and not just, um, you know, not just amelioration of conditions, right, but really bringing people to optimal states of performance. And I'm so excited to, um, to see where, where both neuroscience and, and, and psychology and coaching and all these elements take us. I think we have a big I think there's a big. I don't think we're at the ceiling at all. I think we've got a big, a big space here. Like you said, you know, you're worried about getting a 0.1% better on a squat, and like, look at the headroom we've got here to, to <laughs> right. improve, improve people's performance. So, um, yeah, so that's that's where I'm where I'm excited.
0: Yeah. It- it does feel not even really in its adolescence. And, and when you think about even just the, the physiology and kind of sports science and, and where it started from, you know, a lot of it kind of came through Australia after the Mexico yeah. Olympics. And um, so if you think about that, I was that 68 uh, and or 74? And so you're talking about kind of 30 or 40 years of. Physiological development in terms of performance, yeah. and we're talking about just a, a couple in in really yeah. the, the neuroscience, and and again yeah. we, we hardly even unpacked the brain, let alone uh, actually found what we can do with it. And yeah, yeah, I you know through through writing this book, I've been going through all sorts of studies on particularly language and culture and sure. and how you know western speakers or western language speakers differ from uh eastern uh yeah. language speakers and, and how they solve problems and how they do math and and how their culture impacts how they think about things and what what lights up to to use your words you know in the yeah. brain and and those pathways and yeah uh, it, it is fascinating and so i'll yeah i'm with you on that that there's some yeah. some really cool stuff happening yeah yeah uh what are you into away from your world are, are, you, are you watching the crown are you down some wikipedia <laughs> hole are you into podcasts like what 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 have you found that you're maybe didn't expect to be obsessed by in the world but
1: You know, it's, it's very interesting. There's two, there's two things that got amplified for me kind of during this time period. One is I've, I've always loved gardening, but I've always, Mm. I'm, I was one of those folks who was on the road every week. Right. And so, you know, the idea of like, you know, a big you know, exciting uh, vegetable garden, you know, waiting, waiting two weeks for me to get home was not, not going to happen. So, so this, um, you know, this spring and into the summer and even into the fall, I just got into the dirt. Like I was, you know, like elbows, elbows deep in, in, in kind of exploring all of that, which was which was totally awesome, which then rolled into my husband and I actually doing a lot of bird watching in our in our neighborhood. We have a lot of forest and other things around us, and so we both love bird watching again, something we've never had time for, like like that would be the last thing we would have time for on a weekend, and so you know sort of adding that and then really really upping my cooking game, like I love cooking, but like i wasn't necessarily exploring spices and combinations and things, and now I just find my like improv and creativity just, just really. So definitely a lot of like, you could see a lot, I'm doing a lot of stuff with my hands, like I'm I'm digging and cooking. And, and, (laughs) and for me, it's really funny because, because I'm so like in my head a lot, right. You know, just thinking, reading, like I'm always, I've always been obsessed with reading that didn't change. I just read more, you know, like, but, but for me that, really that, that physical translation of, of doing stuff outside or, you know, sort of making or creating something was really an expression for me that balances out my, my intellectual pursuits. So yeah, that's what I've been up to.
0: I love that. I've never got any of those answers before on that question. So (laughs) I'm a bit of an watching. odd duck,
1: but that's okay. No, it's all, it's all good. It's, it's all related. It's all, you know, I just see the human experience is just this, this awesome combination. Right. And that's what we're looking at. So.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say is what I think is fascinating on top of what we've been talking about is that we've also had this time period of probably going to be two years where most people have the time to do to, to cook and to garden and to slow down and to kind of go back to some of those slower activities and 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 even the rocket fuel I think that that's going to provide on its own for yeah. people and, and the, the mixture of creativity and of this kind of intellectual space as yes. well you know I'm thinking about you know I'm writing about a coach who got into painting and, and even just like how uh, a dash of the brush might actually uncover some new play, for instance. Yeah,
1: right? totally. Yeah. 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 And that, that
0: intersection of all these different things and actually being creative again, rather than just being in the slog.
1: Yeah. I I've think never could be felt really interesting. I've never felt more personally creative than I did during this like totally awkward, <laughs> locked in, crazy, very difficult time. Like I didn't I didn't I didn't see it coming, but I'm 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 treasuring every moment of it, right? Because wow, to have a to have a moment of quiet is to and to be able to sit with yourself, right? Like there are definitely yeah. moments of discomfort during these time periods uh, lots of it, you know, I lost friends, I lost family members, you know, but to be able to sit with the discomfort and still see the, you know, the creativity and the new things coming along is, has been really precious for me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that, that chance.
0: Yeah, me too. And mine has mostly just been kind of staring up into the sky, but that's okay. Right? Like I, we need <laughs> yeah. that too. Just yeah, the ability to exactly. sit and, and, and wonder, yeah. right? Get that sense yeah. of wonder back.
1: Totally. Totally. So
0: where where can people find you? How can they follow along with you or connect with you if they, they want to get in touch?
1: Yeah, the easiest way is actually um, just through my LinkedIn page. That kind of leads to, to everything that you might want to find find out about me (laughs) sort of where I've been and and where I'm going that's sort of the easiest spot I'm kind of on it it's my only I will readily admit it's my only social media so so that's sort of the conduit but um, I do respond pretty quickly if people reach out to me so would love to love to hear from folks.
0: Dr. Amy Cruz, thank you so much. Like I said, long overdue, but uh, I think this is the the perfect topic for us to jam on together. And I'm sure some people will be in touch for sure um, to to follow along or get some more information from you or talk to you about a particular concept. So appreciate your time. And thank um, you for the
1: chance. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. So
0: we'll chat again soon.
1: All right, cheers.
0: This series of podcasts is all based around my new book, The Tough Stuff, which will be available in early 2021. Up until launch, I'll be releasing updates, sneak peeks, B-roll content, and new podcasts like the one you've heard today on my website. Head to codyroyal.com to subscribe. Thanks for listening.